Hey listeners, and welcome back to another episode of My Streaming Bubble. It's that little podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today I'm tolerating Eric so we can continue our chat on The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, part three. Hi, Eric. Hi, Jen. Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) How you been? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Rocking and rolling, hanging out, quarantining. Not a whole lot has changed, but that's that's life in 2020, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we will get right into it since I am assuming we will have lots to say about this season. I don't know if you and I can have a short conversation. <laughs> I think as long as we've known each other, our co- we've never been able to just like wrap up a conversation. So. Nope. Nope. So... <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we are talking about uh, part three of the chilling adventures of Sabrina and all the good and the bad and the singing. So much singing. <laughs> and and I'll, I will have to say that um, I enjoyed rewatching it more than the first time I watched it. Not entirely sure why. I think maybe because there was a level of like a familiarity to it uh-huh. and in 2020 anything we can do that's familiar and kind of cozy and safe feeling is always nice so right right agreed agreed and I actually uh I feel the same way uh you know how much I uh kind of bashed season three and uh some more private conversations that we have that weren't recorded but watching it again surprisingly only for the second time in comparison to season one and two which I've done like five times each I got a finer appreciation for it. And mm-hmm. I may have judged it a little too harshly the first time around, which we can go, well, we'll probably go into some of those things. But yeah, the second watch the, or the, uh, uh, opened my eyes up a little more to the things that were happening. There were still, I still have judgment on some of the choices they made for this uh, season, but I'm hoping that the showrunners learned from it going. Mm-hmm. But uh Overall, yeah, just like you, I enjoyed it a lot better the second time around than when I first initially watched it. Yeah, I mean, even the first time I watched it, the first episode of season three, their kind of Wizard of Ozzy themed episode, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was kind of fun, this nice twist of Wizard of Oz, a hellish twist on it. And then, yeah, having, because what was it, like Theo's uncle was like the scarecrow? Yeah, Jesse. Jesse, Jesse, yeah. yeah. He, 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 He was on the cross. Uh, in the field, and I, uh, I know I wrote it down somewhere, but uh, the the field in hell where it was like the second part of hell just as they washed up on the beach and they found Jesse Putnam just up on the cross. And uh, yeah, uh, I did get kind of a scarecrow vibe from that as mm-hmm. well. Um, but nothing screamed Wizard of Oz more than when they made it into the woods. I, I, I kind of liked where they were going with that. I thought it was kind of neat, you know, um, a little bit uh, on the more cartoonishy side, I feel. You know, you're still dealing with a show that's on the level of all other CW shows, you know? Yeah. You can make it, like, teenage scary, but you can't you you can't really mi- incorporate it like, I don't know, like any movie that actually takes place in hell. I have no examples for, for that matter. <laughs> I appreciate where they were trying to go with it. I thought it was fun. Yep. Jesse kind of was the scarecrow. Yeah. Um, Tommy was like the Tin Man. Yep. And then Raz's grandma, I guess she was the lion. Did you get the lion out of that? I was thinking of the Wicked Witch. Maybe. 
I don't know. I mean, I guess I was just trying too hard, you know, because they had a different family member of out of Sabrina's crew. And so I just kind of assumed, but I didn't and I but I didn't see any like true connection. You know, Uncle Jesse, you could get was this was a scarecrow because, yeah, he was up on the cross and everything. Right. Tommy is the Tin Man because he was in the woods. But then, yeah, I was just like, are they skipping the lion or is Roz's? Because I think her hair was all kind of wily, like a like a lion's mane. Okay, I guess I could see where you're going with it. I, we'll, I don't know. We'll go with that. We'll go with the lion. <laughs> we'll go with the lion. I appreciate that. And uh, here it is. So that was the field of uh, the field of witness is where Jesse Putnam was being uh, uh, crucified. Uh, before that, they washed up onto the shores of sorrow. Which actually, I thought the Shores of Sorrow was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really neat scene of all the different stages of hell they went through. I felt like that was probably, if there is a hell, the most realistic thing that they could, uh, that we would come across. Just this big beach with these big wooden structures where people are just stuffed in there like cattle and they're just constantly there to drown and suffer for all eternity. I was like, I could see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, leading up to them arriving in hell, I mean, we open up the first episode, you know, with Sabrina in a, having a dream of her rescuing Nicholas out of, you know, from hell. And I wonder if they, if the showrunners did that on purpose to kind of give us a little foreshadowing of what we could expect later on in the season uh, during the unholy regalia, uh, especially with, with the final uh, task with Judas being stuck in the wall and then Sabrina. Oh, yeah. So I just wonder if that was underlying there as just kind of a hint of things to come or if it was just purely coincidental. But I thought it was a very strong opening, you know. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, things really got to pick up. Oh, Nicholas Scratch, what a season he had. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, His character just... Actually, of all the characters in the show, his is the one that blew me away the most this season. Because I really feel like he went from this, he went he went from this like very confident, you know, bad boy type, you know, who had this very soft side to him, and he yeah. really back to Sabrina to this just this tortured soul who just could not, who could not just, I guess, put into proper for, for me to put into proper words. He just couldn't understand really what he just went through, you know, um, he was traumatized. Mm-hmm. And we see that throughout the season with uh, Nicholas and um, to see where he was last season, to see where he ended at the end of this season, just telling Prudence on the step of the Academy that he feels alone. It's, you feel bad for him. So I'm really wondering, you know, where, where, where is his story going to lead going forward? Because I don't think, Nicholas is going to be the type of guy who's just going to be brooding all of next season. I think he's going to try to take control, but whether that's going to be in a positive way, we have to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they take Nicholas next season. Because, yeah, this season was very much Nick-centered. You know, first trying to rescue him from Hal and then trying to find another uh, Flesh Acheron to house Satan, since Satan is still occupying Nick's body. Because then we get the line where... They've got Nick and, you know, Satan chained in the basement of the Academy and Sabrina pops in and he goes, says something like daddy's home or call me dad. Yeah. Call me daddy. He says, oh, it just reminded me of like our 
chat on like season one and then what you oh. told me through the comics. <laughs> Oh, yeah, with Edward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, they did it. They did it. That's gross. It's about the Sabrina lore, whether it's the comic books or the the modern comic books or the TV show, that where, where they feel like, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where they feel like father-daughter relations are not off the table. I feel like that is just the grossest thing. And you know what? I know that in the end, it's not supposed to be taken as, oh, you know, uh, we're promoting, you know, that it's okay for this kind of stuff. But it's like, do you have to add it? Do you have to have a line like, call me daddy? (laughs) Just say Just just Yeah. I mean, I guess so. (laughs) Just because, yeah, it's... It, it invokes like a reaction, you know, from pe- you know, from the audience, whatever the reaction may be. But, but, <laughs> oh yeah. So like, also when they're down there, like in that scene where she, Sabrina, comes down to see Nick slash Satan, and he drops the "call me daddy" line, and they have their little conversation, and then she goes to leave because he's surrounded by a salt circle, you know, because yeah. salt is believed to contain spirits and everything, or you know, keep them out or in or whatever. And it's and, the most rookie move that you could possibly pull. Oh my God. Why are people so careless with their salt circles? Supernatural. How many times does like the salt get blown away? Like I just, I scream. Well, not literally scream, but I was just like internally screaming. I'm like, come on. You are a witch. That's uh, your thing. It's like, it's fucking witch 101, man. It's I demon spirit out. hunting 101. <laughs> I wrote down somewhere in my notes, I was like, Sabrina broke the circle. And then I wrote, rookie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I feel like like with this season, we're going to be all over the place today. Because there's really so much that happened in a very short amount of time. They crunched a lot Mm -hmm. in these episodes, which I think is part of the reason maybe why I couldn't appreciate it so much the first time I watched it. Is because the first two seasons were what, 10, 11, 12 episodes, something like that? Something like that, I think. And now we're working with at, at least four episodes less than what we're used to. You know, it's, uh, it's, we're taking a lot of different storylines and putting them together. It's kind of like the last season, I felt that the last two seasons was Game of Thrones. You know, you, yes. you, they, they took a five pound bag and tried to fit 25 pounds worth of crap in it. Yep. But the big difference. I guess, is that with Sabrina, noticing this, of course, again, the second time around, is it actually all ended up ended up playing out almost to perfection. They didn't really, really leave any stone unturned. They didn't, I don't feel like they rushed anybody's stories. Everything was pretty well paced, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, everything from the, the, everything going on with Nicholas through, you know, throughout the entire series to the unholy regalia and how they how well they spread that out instead of just crunching it into like two or one or two episodes to you know prudence and ambrose's hunt for uh father blackwood and how that all turned out from beginning to end to introducing new characters like you know uh mambo marie mm-hmm. uh, who, who i love or uh uh robin you know you know they gave ample time to explain everything Mm-hmm. and the short time that they gave us so i can res- i respect that and i really wish if they do move forward with the next the final season being only like being a shorter season i just hope they don't do what game of thrones did you know and yeah. just 
slap us fans in the face with just a, a just a season that's just totally on uh, off par with like everything else that we've expected up to this point i guess mm-hmm. yeah no i agree there was again a lot going on this season like in season two and then did you notice it was okay because so part three is eight episodes and in um episode seven Sabrina does her little rundown of all the crazy shit that's been going on. And so they did that in season two, either in the last episode or the penultimate episode where it's like, oh, there's this, like just kind of bringing all the storylines together because everyone's kind of off doing their own thing and it all collides at the end. And so, yeah, Sabrina does her little um, end of the season wrap up of like, here's all this insane shit going on, the regalia and, you know, I'm queen of hell because she held, withheld that information from the aunties for most of the season. Oh, Zelda's, uh, Zelda's reaction to it is, was, was like just perfect Zelda because she, she was like, I don't care if you're the queen of hell, you're my, you're my niece. Mm-hmm. And she just did not give a shit. She was like, I do not approve of your actions, young lady. <laughs> I did like her one line about, you know, you crave power, which is healthy to a point. <laughs> and I just, I love Aunt Zelda. I love Aunt Z so much. Because oh. it's like, yeah, I get it. You want it. It's okay to crave power and want power, absolute power. Right, but, right. you know, you got to scale it back a bit. Well, that's why, that's what, what makes the last episode so interesting, in my opinion, is because now there's two Sabrinas. One who's living her teenage Sabrina life, and then the one who's, you know, ruling hell. And Ambrose warns her at the end, you have created a time paradox, girl. You know, this is not going to go over well. And Sabrina, in in just, you know, just traditional Sabrina fashion, mm-hmm. it's like, no! She's like, the cosmos will sort itself out. No, bitch, the cosmos don't just sort itself out. You need, there's a price for everything. She's such, and in like season, or I'm sorry, in episode two, at some point, uh, Lilith shows up. Oh yeah, she shows up to get Sabrina to do her job, you know, start recruiting the souls into hell. And Sabrina's all Sabrina about some shit. (laughs) And Lilith is like, you are the worst. And I was like, yes, yes, she is. I feel like it should be a rule that if Ambrose is not comfortable with something happening, just listen to him because Ambrose is rarely ever wrong. Okay. I mean, we look at the past couple seasons where, for instance, when they get, when, 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 when they killed Agatha, Sabrina's like, no, we got this. It's all good. It's all good. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did Ambrose, Seem to think it was all good. No, no, and was he right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, because like Sabrina, she's like, you know, why do I? Why are these people going to hell? Why do I have to recruit them? Like she starts questioning everything, and then she's like, well, we'll just do it all on a case by case basis. Like, no, these motherfuckers sold their soul for whatever reason. That's not for you to decide whether they made these humans made their choice. And you and know, now I, you gotta do your job. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you know. And, you know, actually, it's uh, I'm glad you brought that brought that up because, you know, we have first look at like the old man mm-hmm. master, you know, Sabrina. Here's my my gripe with what Sabrina did. It wasn't so much that Sabrina's like, no, you don't deserve hell. You just wanted to sell your soul so you could play chess. She didn't see that as a bad thing. I personally kind of don't either. 
I understand where she was coming from in that regard. She didn't see that as a reason to condemn somebody to hell because he just wanted to be good at chess. Okay, cool. I can appreciate that. But what I don't appreciate about that also at the same time is that we don't know what else that old man has done in his life. Exactly. Sabrina did not take the time to learn, okay, you sold your soul to be a chess master. That's great. But have you ever killed anybody to be, a, you know, to maintain your, your, your spot? Are you a pedophile? Have you ever raped anybody? Mm-hmm. You know, did you ever, you know, steal from someone you love or just, she doesn't know the whole history behind the person. She just knows what they sold their soul for. You know, she should have, I feel like the, she should she should have taken the time to learn a little more about the people that she was collecting if she was really going to consider changing their fate. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy, on the other hand, mm. Jimmy, another new character, only around for one episode this season. Well, was it one or two? Was Jimmy one or two episodes? I think it was just um, one. I think just one. Either way. Either way. So anyways, G- Jimmy. All right. So uh, Jimmy's a piece of shit. Okay, but Sabrina learns right from the get-go what's going on um, with Jimmy. She didn't have to take the time to learn. Jimmy's like, you know, I, you know, I got my sacrifice ready. You know, buy me another seven years. You know, that's where we see the more devilish side, I think, of Sabrina. But she's not condemning him because he's she's not condemning him because he stole his soul. She's condemning she's condemning him because of what he's done. Yep. And continuing has been continuing to do. So Jimmy, you know, Jimmy actually I thought was a really good character. I felt like his that type of character was needed for Sabrina to see what kind of people are out in the world and what her job actually entails. Mm-hmm. But I think they were the only two people who we actually actually watched her go out and gather their souls. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, which kind of makes sense because, yeah, you have that contrast of assuming that the old chess player isn't innocent other than just selling his soul to be the next Bobby Fisher. And then also it's like, so if she was supposed to take old man Bobby Fisher to hell, what was the white car doing there? The heaven car that she put him in. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't think about that. What was it doing there? I'm just like. Exactly. It's like if a soul is condemned to hell, why would both <laughs> both forms of transportation? Yeah. So well, I. So that's. That. Yeah, I was very. I was kind of curious. I was like, what the fuck is that white car doing there anyway? That shouldn't have been an option. And then that's when Wardwell pops up, and she's like, oh, you literally, you really are the worst, because she's Sabrina's <laughs> just making shit up. So if we were to see these two contrasting kind of souls, assuming. Old man Fisher was just an innocent just to be a good chess player. And then we see Jimmy, who was in like a terrible car act. But so I guess we're to assume that Jimmy was always kind of always had that evil in him. I mean, if he is so willing to make these children child sacrifices to Satan to extend his contract, even though it was a horrific car accident in which caused him to call out and basically sell his soul like. If that hadn't happened, what would have Jimmy, what, what evil would Jimmy had done if he would have done evil? You know what I mean? Probably could have gotten worse. I mean, do we know how long ago, did they go over how long ago the car accident was before Sabrina found out he was making the sacrifice? I don't think they touched up on that. 
No, I don't think they say specifically, but I mean, if he's, if it's every seven years, he's got to do another sacrifice. And this has been going on for several sacrifice extensions. It's going to be going on with him for decades. Decades. I almost wonder if it's maybe like fifties or sixties, just because he still kind of had that old school, old timey ice cream truck and uniform and everything. Sure, sure, sure. Weird. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too. I mean, I'm willing to bet that Jimmy has been doing this for maybe 50, maybe 50 years or so, you know, maybe more. And, you know, it, it, it does make sense because he seemed very confident that he was going to just say, you know, get another seven years tacked onto his lifespan. He wasn't, wasn't really questioning anything except for the fact that now we have new management. But then mm-hmm. once she started rebelling and saying no, you know, fuck you. Jimmy was like, oh, you're, 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 you're just new. You, you don't, you don't really get a say in this. Let me talk to your manager. <laughs> <laughs> he went full Karen on her ass. He's like, I want to speak to your manager. <laughs> and actually, you know, staying on that episode for just another minute, the girl, um, I, I know I wrote her name down too, but I'm not going to at the moment but the girl that he ended up kidnapping and trapping in uh the freezer you know i loved loved and somewhat questioned also the fact that he had the uh uh the vigils uh the 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 symbols Mm -hmm. that could prevent any type of magic from being used in there and i thought that was really cool i i thought that was clever clever writing like I said, I thought that was uh, really cool to have Jimmy be prepared for that kind of scenario. But at the same time, how did Jimmy know to be prepared for that kind of scenario? That's the thing. So how did he know something like that would happen? Yeah. Like, he's, maybe this isn't the first time a witch has ever tried to stop him. I don't know. Yeah. Don't say, but yeah. yeah well, no, that's a good point. So maybe so he's been doing this clearly long enough where he's at least learned what the sigils are and kind of what to do. And maybe that's always been his kind of backup insurance card of in the event that a witch or another witch or someone comes to try and stop him. Yeah. I don't know. But right. he was far too prepared. He was. He was. Uh, but I did think that at the the ending of that towards the end of that episode was also very interesting, too, because Lilith not Miss Wardwell, Lilith returns the little girl back to her mother mm-hmm. and she tells her that she's Miss Wardwell. And later on in the season, like three, two or three episodes later, you know, the little girl's mother approaches the actual Miss Wardwell and thanks her with a fruit basket, mm-hmm. you know, saving her daughter. And, you know, Miss Wardwell lost several months of her life. So, She's now realizing, slowly realizing what could have happened to her and that somebody else was living her life. So Miss Wardwell's transition from the first episode ever of Sabrina just to being this innocent teacher who would pick up a lonely stranded girl on the side of the road because she wants to help her now turns into this, I almost want to say just this right wing nut job conservative (laughs) religious asshole, you know? She really changed, and I know that she lost. She's confused. Miss Wardwell's super confused this whole season. But did she really have to shoot Zelda? You know, I mean, I get it. Blackwood kind of like manipulated with a uh, uh, fucked with her mind when uh, he came to her house. But still, it's. Uh, I think we're going to see more from Miss Wardwell next season, and I think we're going to get a much darker side of this woman. Like 
or some really dark religion. Uh, um, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. I was kind of, yeah, with the basically two Miss Wardwells kind of running around Greendale this season. Because, yeah, when Lilith returns the, the little girl back to the mom, she's like, oh, my name's Mary Wardwell. I'm like, how are they, how is she able to run around as Miss Wardwell with Miss Wardwell there? You know what I mean? I'm like, you're going to cause confusion. And then they address that, like you said, a couple episodes later. And I feel like the Miss Wardwell, yeah, because she's confused, scared. And I assume there's some remnants of that evil of Lilith still lingering because she's drawn to that, you know, to that what book of death or whatever that, um, yeah, that she, Wardwell, Lilith Wardwell had. So she's, I feel like there's something within Mary Wardwell that's kind of pulling her, like I said, like a little remnants of Lilith that's sure. kind of drawing her towards towards the dark side to the darkness and because she was vulnerable confused and blackwood's a piece of shit and was able to manipulate her into basically doing his bidding because he still can't get over get over the spellman's being existing (laughs) convinces her that that's what she needs to do is shoot aunt z Time, though. At the same time, though, Lilith is kind of a bitch for what she did to Miss Wardwell, glamouring herself to look like Adam. Come on, that's yeah. just awesome. So, in a way, yes, Blackwood, Blackwood did fuck with her mind. He absolutely did by revealing that the, the Spellmans are witches, you know, and kind of underlying manipulating her to go and do something about it. But at the same time, she did spare, he did end up sparing Miss Wardwell, maybe even uh, unintentionally. Of the harm of finding out that Lilith is actually Adam, having her find that out on her. Oh no no no, oh no no no. She she he he revealed it to her. She didn't find out on her own. Where the hell is my brain going? He pulled her <laughs> out of the back room. I'm thinking she did find out on her own, but no no he he showed her. So you know, and that was probably another kind of tip off for Mary Wardwell was when Adam showed up because she knows she senses that something happened to Adam. She knows that he's right. not there. So that. You know, and for Lilith Wardwell to disguise herself as Adam, I mean, she was just turned away by Aunt Z, which I thought was kind of ballsy of Aunt Z, but she didn't have anywhere. Lilith had nowhere to go to. So she had to glamour the one person, you know, glamour as the one person to find sanctuary. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Wow. Um, so and talk about another character turn for sure. Robin. Another new character. I need to pause real quick because I need to use the bathroom because all I've had is coffee. So. (laughs) Go ahead. That's fine. (laughs) All right. Okay. So you were about to start talking about Robin. Yeah. So actually, before I jump into Robin, I was just looking through my notes here. And there's one thing I want to point out that I thought was freaking phenomenal. And I made sure to make a note of it. Uh, Lachlan Watson, uh, the actor that plays Theo. I just want to say. How awesome is that now they have Lachlan Watson's character in the opening credits? They didn't have that for the first two seasons. They had Harvey, they had Roz, they had Sabrina, uh, Helda, uh, Helda and Zelda, you know, Lilith. All of them were got a credit spot, but Lachlan Watson received no opening credit spot. And I didn't realize that until I watched this season. So I was like, that is fucking awesome and about time. That is awesome and about time, and I hadn't noticed that, and that's pretty fucked up considering how much of a badass Theo was last season. Yeah, I mean, he's one of, from the very first episode, Theo has been, like, one of the main characters 
and most dominant characters in mm-hmm. this show. And there was no opening credit spot for him. I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Come yeah. On. But but I, 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 I'm glad the showrunners finally decided to throw that in there and uh, give uh, give uh, Lachlan and his character the uh, 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 the appreciation that uh, that that he deserves. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, yeah, going back to Robin. Robin is uh, definitely one of my other new favorite characters. Speaking of Theo, Robin is obviously Theo's love interest in this season. Which you know what? Good. Mm-hmm. Because you know you got you got you got Nick and Sabrina. You have Harvey and Sabrina. You have Roz and and, and Harvey. You have Prudence and Ambrose. You have you have Dorcas and everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Hilda and Dr. C. Hilda and Dr. C, yes. Everybody has a love interest. Theo finally finds somebody. Yay! And Robin, I could not think of a better character that they could have created than Robin. Robin was the quintessential, just like personal opinion here, quintessential perfect shy guy. You know, he, he was shy. But he was a sweetheart. He was easy to talk to. People opened up to him, and he opened up to them. He was easy to get along with. He he went into this group with a purpose, you know, to uh, infiltrate the school for the pagans. You know, mm-hmm. that wasn't mission. But he saw the overall good in these people and decided, I can't do this to these people. And then he meets Theo, and he falls in love with Theo. And... If any character I feel like in this show deserved love more, it was Theo. And I'm very happy that it went that it went down for him the way that it did. Mm-hmm. And Robin, Robin being what was he a hob he's a hobgoblin, mm-hmm. which is really cool. <laughs> when he reveals himself, uh, I can't remember if it was Theo or if it was Harvey. What somebody said to it once he they asked, What are you? He's like, I'm a hobgoblin. I run really fast. <laughs> <laughs> to the point you run really fast and that actually ended up really coming in handy for the gang later on when they were stuck in the library with the snake charmer and pan which you want to talk about the pagans for a little bit yeah um just real quick with robin because yeah i agree i really liked robin well at first when they first introduced robin as theo's love interest even before we knew that robin was part of the evil carny pagans i was like i don't there was something about it, and maybe it's because, in my eyes, Theo is just so precious, and I love him so much, and I need to protect him, that I'm like, I don't trust you, Robin. And then he also kind of had, he reminded me of, like, an anime character when he had, like, his hat on, and I think there's just a couple of shots with his hat and his face shape. Maybe it's, like, Lupin or someone, but there was just a shot where he's kind of coming out of the shadows, I think, when we first realized that he's with the pagans. So his head's kind of down, he's kind of looking up and kind of evilly, but there's, he's got that baseball hat and it casts that shadow over his eyes. And that just, again, with the face shape and everything, I'm like, I feel like he's an, he looks like an anime character. And he's got like <laughs> the green hair and the pointy ears. And then, um, yeah, he's fast like the flash. So. And, you know, he had a lot of really good. Yeah. And then, yeah, he did have good moments. And then when he finally decided to kind of join team, Fright Club, and I'm very disappointed that that name stuck. And him and Theo started, Harfrey should not be allowed to name things. But when (laughs) Robin and Theo started making that connection and expressing their love and everything for each other, I'm like, 
fuck, Robin's so doomed. Robin's so doomed. They're too happy right now. Robin and Theo are too happy right now. And then, sure enough, Robin dies. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I'm like, God Uh, damn it. I know. I know. But, yeah, it was a great character to add. You know, he he added something to the show that I don't think that was there before. Not just for Theo, but I think just in general, just in general for the entire feel for uh, uh, for the season. But then you got the pagans, who were the biggest change, the biggest thing to this season, the big baddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I watched it, all right, did you ever used to watch Heroes? Yes. Okay. I have this thing about carnival themes on TV. I feel like a carnival theme in a TV show is a last-ditch desperation for a show trying to regain itself after losing you know some of their audience it's just the last ditch effort to say okay we're going to try to use this to explain how things work like in heroes the heroes ended up becoming like freaks you know for freak shows or whatever shit yep so i thought this was kind of where this was going and throughout my first watch i couldn't get that out of my head it's just like uh this is just such a desperation move by the by the showrunners to bring in a carnival but the second time I didn't feel that way second time through the carnival was a diversion and it was used to draw people in from Greendale so they can make the necessary sacrifices that they need to make so they can bring the green man back so when I look at it from that perspective that the carnival is not really a carnival I have a different I have a different uh, I have a different look at it I, I can't remember some of the pagans' names, but you know, I remember Pan, who is, you know, um, what is he like? He's a goat, goat god. Yeah, he's a fruit wearer. Because uh, all I can think of is the movie uh, Pan's Labyrinth, and that movie was pretty terrifying. <laughs> I loved it, I, but had a super long time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, when they arrive, when the when the when the, when the Fright Club um, arrives at the car. <laughs> For the first time, <laughs> um, you know they have Robin in the group. Clearly, Pan, the ringmaster of this carnival, can see Robin with them. He knows that Robin's probably doing his job, so he's not really giving off any hints. But Roz sees through her cunning, you know, that this guy is not who he appears to be. Mm-hmm. Roz has the best superpower, and she really during, especially during like the second rewatch. Um, I was just like, you know, Roz has the best superpower and she needs to trust it because, you know, she sees the ringmaster, the head of the Carney people as Pan. But she's kind of like, I'm I'm not sure what I'm seeing because I think like Harvey or someone's like, oh, what are you looking at? What's wrong? And she's like, "Uh, uh, nothing. And just kind of dismisses it and goes on. I'm like, girl, you need to trust that shit and be like, "Uh, I think that's a goat man. We need to go. (laughs) And did you notice, I think it was that same episode. Where Pan addressed to the snake charmer, um, who her name just is always escaped me this entire season. I don't even think I wrote it down once. But he expressed to her that he realized there was, uh, I don't remember exactly the lingo he used to describe her, but he realized what she wants. And I think he calls her like a seer, just something kind of like that. Sure. Like he says, like there's a seer, he's like, there's a seer who uh, uh, noticed me or something mm-hmm. like that. So they know instantly that they are in for maybe a fight, but I think they want it even more now because now they know there's supernatural elements to this area that they're at, and that can help 
you know, uh, strengthen the green man even more, strengthen, mm-hmm. you know, strengthen the, uh, their entire, their entire you know, group cult, whatever. How did you, th- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to wrap up that. Uh, I think, and I think it was a, a good setup for everything that was going to come on later between the pagans and, and the witches, just mm-hmm. the, kind of the uh, the back and forth battle that they had with each other, which we'll probably touch up on in a little bit here. I was just going to ask, what was your, how did you think, what did you think, feel about um, the depiction of pagans, at least this group of pagans, and just being um, super evil? <laughs> really think about it too much, to be honest with you. I personally don't know a lot about paganism. Same here. I, I, I don't. Uh, Anastasia was a, Explaining for those who don't know, that is my wife. Um, <laughs> she was she was explaining to me like how uh, who some of these uh, some of these gods actually are. I didn't really take any notes on that, but I, I mean, I felt like they were really good characters to bring in. You know, I thought it was cool the idea to put you know the coven who worship you know Satan, Lilith, whatever they're worshiping now to a different style of worship, you know, and each one of these types of, uh, uh, each of these groups, you know, worship in a different way. They have different rituals. They try to offset each other's rituals, like with the hair moon, for instance. I I thought the story, how they wrote their story was actually pretty fun. I don't know how people who really know a lot about pagan lore feel about it maybe that's something that i can look into um but you know for what it was you know i mean this show's a work of fiction you know yeah Yeah. so there's gonna be you know elements to these things that even to people who are actually witchy Mm -hmm. are gonna be like realistic you know that that would never happen you know so i guess if i look at we look at it from that perspective it's just the showrunners are having fun I'm sure they did some research. They didn't really, I don't think they really wanted to go out of their way to offend anybody, but I don't know if real pagans would appreciate the idea of being considered evil. You yeah. Know what I'm yeah. But, and, you know, the way I see it too is that with any group, there's always going to be extremes. Any group. Pick a group. There's going to be an extreme. There's going to be a little small break off that's just, they want, they want what they want, but they don't care how they get it. So I guess that's kind of how I viewed, and again, I don't know shit about paganism or Wiccan witchcraft or Satanism, but I was a little, with season one, Satanists got all up in arms about the statue and being portrayed. So then I wondered, practicing pagans, true pagans or modern pagans, I wonder kind of what their take on it was. If they're just like, oh yeah, it's, it's a show, it is what it is. Or if they were just like, how dare they? I was just a little curious, but I'm just like, I, I don't know. Like I said, every group has their extremes. I don't feel like it's a show that goes out of its way to offend anybody. No, no. Well, uh, like I said, it's just a work of fiction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I could throw a, I could, I, you know, I could throw a stick at a tree. Somebody would probably say I'm trying to hurt the tree. You know? <laughs> You're trying to hurt the tree with itself. That's messed up. <laughs> yep. yep. You know, so it's, it's just. <laughs> It, people are everybody's a critic everybody's gonna have an mm-hmm. opinion or something and it's just one of those things i think we just gotta let it be what it is yep. you know so i agree i was just curious should we go on to the holy regalia 
Mostly regalia. Oh, and can I just say real quick that I hate Harvey's band, like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, a let's lot. Just, you know, let's get it out of the way. Let's get it, Let's get the singing out of the way. So, uh, it was so much worse the second time. <laughs> this is where I really thought just some unnecessary things. <laughs> I don't know who what the showrunners think they're trying to appease by, <laughs> by, by doing this. But we, sh- you know what? It's our own fault as the viewers. We should have seen the warning sign from the beginning. Hey, did you ever watch the trailer for season three? Oh, because they do do like a big musical number for it, don't they? You know, they did a music video for season three. And, you know, I was just like, oh, you know, that's clever. That's fun. Cool. I didn't realize that singing was going to be a constant thing. You know, from the moment that I heard the band for the first time, I knew that I was going to hear more. <laughs> I just knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, somewhere here, I wrote down all the na- all the songs that they uh, uh, that they sang in the actual art, the original artist. Uh, yeah, because I know the band does, and like I think it's the first episode or second episode, and they're um, singing the teenage dirtbag song, which I'd never yeah. really heard until this episode or this season right. and then I get stuck in my head at least like just the chorus line for a couple of days and that was really painful but you know watching the second time around there was one musical number that although still kind of unnecessary I actually appreciated because it actually fit in with what they were doing for the story and it was at towards the end one of the last two episodes where the cheerleaders came to uh the academy and they had to basically, because there wasn't enough energy for the coven for them to use to basically, uh, uh, oh shit, what were they trying to do with that again? Oh. Uh, let's see. So they needed the energy because they had the stones. Oh, they were trying to save um, Hilda and Z because they were kind of in a limbo state. Yes. Yes, you're right. And they so they were trying any- to bring them back. Themselves. That's right. So they used the cheerleaders energies during their cheer uh, while singing Mickey. Tricky. Uh, oh no, yes, it was Mickey, sorry. Mickey, you're so fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey Mickey. Hey Mickey. So. <laughs> I'll never sing again, I promise. <laughs> uh, but that is the only time that I felt like the singing really made sense is because they wanted to, the, the witches wanted to take that energy and use it so they can uh, uh, so they can bring back, back uh, Hilda and Z from where from where they are the Nether Realm. That's where they were. They were in the Nether Realm with uh, with Edward. Mm-hmm. So, but other than that, it just really seemed like a a way for them to try to capture a new audience. I think maybe a more mainstream audience with these you know here's these teenagers singing these cool retro style songs. You know, and look how look how fresh they look. <laughs> See, the only one I felt that kind of made sense was because I mean, there's like singing, like in almost every single episode. Because I think I've written down for every episode, ugh, more singing, ugh, not again. Right. But for me, the one I felt that made the most sense was Hilda and Doctor C. Yeah. Yes. So as Hilda's starting to transform into a spider because yeah. she was cursed by one of the pagans. Um, cause the pagan at the time didn't understand that spiders were Hilda's familiar and that's why she kept them as, you know, pets. 
so she curses Hilda and Hilda starts transforming into a spider. And there's the one scene where she's got like that spider zit and she's kind of poking at it and it's super gross. A part of me was just like, keep going, keep going. But I've also watched hours of Dr. Pimple Popper. So Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gross. But I was like, keep going, squeeze it harder. <laughs> spiders start coming out of it too. Uh, that- yes. And I'm terrified it's of spiders. White pus ball. And then it's followed up by like five spiders. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's so icky. Oh. But but so as she's transforming, she wants to spend kind of one last evening, one last day with Dr. C because he had proposed and, you know, she wants to. So she's realizing none of those things are going to happen now. And so they have that moment where they kind of are just sharing a song and, you know, he's playing the piano and singing. And that I felt was more real, more authentic than. Yeah these different musical interludes. I mean, even when the cheerleaders did Tricky in episode two, they did it like two or three times. They sang Tricky at the practice, and then they sang Tricky at the pep rally. And Mm. I was like... Maybe that was it, but it was too much. And as a former cheerleader, there's no fucking singing, so... (laughs) So now I'm offended. (laughs) Damn. You should write a note. You should write a letter to Netflix. <laughs> I will. I will word. A, I will craft a strongly worded tweet and send it yep. later. <laughs> but yeah, well, you're so right. you're absolutely right. Uh, that moment between Doctor C and Hilda was very Doctor C and Hilda. Mm-hmm. You know? and were, did they say they were actually trying out to to be in uh, uh, Sweeney Todd? And they yes, were, that's and what it was. Yep. Yeah, and you know, I. I I love the relationship that the, the two of them have get have, even though this season was, you know, with her turning to a spider, you know, and killing him. Um, like can I before. Say, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, even before that, before the uh, singing moment, you know, you see them on the couch together in his place, and they're just watching an old horror movie, and he's like, you know, if you can only choose one, what would it be? The monsters of the Adams family, like. With those two characters, like, what a perfect conversation for those two to have with each other. They're so sweet, and they're so good for one another. You know, even when he sees the transformation happening, you know, once he sees it, he's not, I mean, he's scared. Oh, shit, don't get me wrong, but he's not immediately turned off, you know? He's like, this is the woman I love. What can I do to help? And she says, there's this diner in Riverdale where they have the most amazing burgers and shakes. And he's like, I'm going to go get us burgers and shakes if that makes it better, even though you did not tell me what the diner is called. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's only one. I don't know. I don't. I haven't watched River, Riverdale. And the only reason why I have not watched River, Riverdale is, one, I apparently cannot say it, and two, I have such a soft spot for CW shows, for all their cheesy campiness. I mean, I just burned through, or I'm still kind of working my way through Arrowverse uh, shows on Netflix, getting caught up. I'm like, I don't need another one. <laughs> I only watched the first two seasons of Riverdale. They were both really good. Um, and I've heard that, that especially the first just, two were really good. Well, the first two were great. Uh, season three, we started, but we just never really finished it. Not that it was bad. We just, something else got in the way. Sure. Um, but um, speaking of Riverdale, though, I thought it was hilarious that in this season, Ambrose and Sabrina visit Riverdale to fetch the crown in the first uh, in the first uh, 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 act of the uh, Unholy Regalia. And 
I laughed when I first saw this, and I laughed again when I saw it, when I watched it the second time. They pan on the Riverdale side, and they're like, oh, and me, I'm like, holy shit, are we going to get a crossover? And the first off, no, which was disappointing. But then they show the back of the side. It says, murder capital of the world. And if you watch Riverdale, only like three people die in that show. <laughs> well, because there is a line somewhere, maybe it was during that, the first um, trial of the regalia, but someone's says Riverdale is scarier than Greendale. And I was like, really? Because Greendale has the witches, the pagans, the Satanists, uh, werewolf shapeshifters. <laughs> Riverdale has what has the South side serpents, which they actually paid a homage to in uh, this, in this season. Do you remember when she goes, when she's full blown spider at this point, Dr. C's in Riverdale right now trying to get her that, get her the food. And that biker comes into the bar or comes into the comic book shop to be hungry. And then she eats him. If you look at the vest he's wearing, it has a Southside Serpent's logo on it. And that is the biker gang from Riverdale. So that was a really cool Easter egg that they threw in. Ugh, I'm probably going to start watching Riverdale soon. Just because <laughs> I like, even though there wasn't like a full bone crossover, I just I get so dorky about like the little Easter eggs and then being like, okay, so what what Easter eggs does Riverdale have for Sabrina? Now I need to see those and what name drops and this and that. But right, right. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to say about Riverdale stuff, and I can't remember, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, what were we what were we actually talking about? Oh, Hilda and uh, Hilda and Doctor C. Um, just kind of wrapping up on them. Oh yeah. Yeah, so yeah, with Dr. C and Hilda, when at the end of the season and he comes out of his cocoon, you know, they they all thought he was dead. And yeah. so Hilda was going to go downstairs and say goodbye or whatever, and Dr. C's there all awake. And he's, like, she's so happy he's alive, and he's happy he's alive, and she's not a spider. And I just, <laughs> like, I think it was, he, he really took to almost being murdered and eaten really well. He loves this woman a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> but also at the same token, at the same token, remember, he said he doesn't, he didn't remember what happened. So he probably doesn't remember her turning into a spider, but he really is not questioning the fact that he's sitting on this operating table halfway sticking out of a cocoon in somebody else's house. So, but that's okay. That's yeah. okay. Because the fact of the matter is, is that, like you just said, he he absolutely loves this woman more than anything in the world. Which actually, if you don't mind uh, me staying on this topic of them really quick, I want to talk about them, but also talk about Zelda. Keep in mind, at the carnival, Dr. C proposed marriage to Hilda. She said yes, and when she told her sister and was thinking, she's going to be happy for me, how selfish is Zelda? Mm-hmm. To turn it around and saying, oh, sure, get married. Sabrina's abandoned me. You're abandoning me. What about everybody else? But when we look back at season two and even season one, for that matter, Zelda was the first person who would always go above, go over uh, her family's head if it meant gaining more power for herself. Like when she married Blackwood, for instance. Perfect example. Mm -hmm. But we know how much she loves her sister. We know, and we know that we now know without Hilda, Zelda will be a, just a, is a total mess. You know, she she she's she's her zen basically. Mm -hmm. And we do kind of see that because when Hilda starts turning into a spider, and she 
so she's turned into the spider and she's still at Dr. C's and she's cocooned him now and she calls Z and she's like, and bring a gun. One, I love that Zelda brought this big ass shotgun to a spider fight. That was pretty uh-huh. sweet. I mean, like, I don't know what other gun I was expecting her to show up with, but I was like, a big ass shotgun works. I'm all for that. I thought, you know, I kind of thought the same thing, but, you know, she puts Zelda, she knew right away what had to be done. Mm-hmm. She got what, what 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 Hilda was saying. You have to kill me. And Zelda's like, you know what? I think you're right. Because I have to get you back home and bury you so you'll come back. But I feel like a rifle would have been more appropriate because if she would have aimed in the wrong spot, she could have blown a hole through her. She could have blown her head off and really... Is burying her in the pit going to bring her back if that happens? I'm just saying. I just, the shotgun was overkill, I think. <laughs> I, I agree. And at first, the first time I watched it, I didn't think that Zelda actually shot Hilda because it happened off camera. You know, you just, it pans back. You just see right. the hallway and the flash from the, the gunpowder or whatever. And you hear the, the sound of the gun go off. And so I'm just a weary, I can be very weary of TV deaths. If it doesn't happen on screen, it didn't fucking happen. I need right. to see a body. <laughs> I need to see the murder happen. Right, but then right. you see her eager, Zelda's eagerness and anticipation of Hilda coming back after she buries her in the garden. Cause she's like, I'm just going to go sit in the front room and wait for her. You know, she tells, thanks Sabrina and Ambrose like, Oh yeah, you know, Hilda will be back soon. I'm going to, you know, and when she comes back, we'll have a nice family dinner all together. And I'm just going to go sit in the front room and wait for her. And then Hilda Cause yeah, she's stuck in that nether realm and she's not wanting to leave. Cause in the nether realm, Hilda is waiting for Dr. C. Yeah. 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 Right. Show up. So it seems like that's kind of like their purgatory or their not purgatory, but their limbo, waiting act, room limbo. I, I wrote down, uh, I made a note of that. Um, how going back to season one, when Sabrina goes to mortal limbo and she finds Tommy's brother and like, it's all foggy and, there's a giant monster somewhere in there that's chasing you, chasing you around, and it's just really dark and gloomy. But Limbo, or the Nether Realm for witches, appears to be just this bright place where you can travel through time. And Edward, which I thought was really cool that they brought Edward in, uh, just to kind of guide them both. And that's how I saw Edward, is Edward wasn't really there as their brother. Edward was there as their guide. Zelda's so pet tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... During this time, Zelda learns how they can defeat the pagans because of the moon. She also sees that this is not the end of Hilda because she saw herself on her deathbed surrounded by other witches and family, you know. So Zelda knew this was not the end. And then when she wakes up, there's Father Blackwood there to stab her in the fucking chest. But all of that had to happen. And what I loved about that, uh, well, actually, before I jump into that, you know, speaking of Father Blackwood just being there and stabbing her in the chest, you know, that whole entire thing where he's at the Spellman house just murdering everybody, him and Ag, you know, kills Prudence, kills Mambo Marie, he, kill, he kills Hilda or Zelda. All of this had to happen in order for Sabrina to essentially fix it by traveling through time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting. I like the way that they worked with time travel in this show. I thought it was actually kind of neat. Um, and I love that they referenced Back to the Future in it as well. They <laughs> called it a really old movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought about? Do, do you remember in uh, Avengers? Um, yes, uh, I do. 
Tom Holland's like, you ever seen that really old movie, Alien? <laughs> and then, yeah, in Civil War, Tom Holland says that you, that really old movie, um, and he's referencing like the one of the Star Wars movies, yeah. and they're because tr- they're trying to take down um, giant Ant Man. And then, yeah, Rhodey's like, tell ask Tony, he's like, where he's did like, you I get think this? I kid? With this. <laughs> like, oh my lord! And then, okay. One last Tom Holland Spider-Man gush in, uh, is it Far From Home? It's the second Spider-Man movie. And he's in the, he's in Tony's jet and he's kind of redesigning his, his Spidey suit. And Happy's like, I'll turn on the music. And he turns on ACDC. And little, little baby Tom Holland's like, oh, I love Led Zeppelin. Crushes me every time. Oh, I'm so old. I'm just, I'm dust. I don't remember that scene, but I bet Happy shot him a look. <laughs> I don't remember if Happy did, but I know Timmy does every time. He's just, again, personally offended. <laughs> That's really, really funny. But before we went on our Marvel rant. So, okay, so Father Blackwood, when we first see him, when when Prudence and Ambrose finally catch up to him, Prudence had had a chance where she was able to take him out and Ambrose talked her out of it and you see her kind of hitting the flask a bit hard and a bit much and they find father blackwood and his hair is all outgrown and long beard and all i could think was oh, i'm loving blackwood's quarantine look <laughs> <laughs> nice. so that just made me laugh a bit more and you know earlier when you said kind of everything that they did this season and how it all worked and kind of came together my only I, I kind of disagree in that I wish we'd gotten, they had done more with Prudence's brother and sister. She saves them. Yeah. Judith and, and Judas. So that they're saved, but then they get put into that dollhouse and under a dollhouse spell. And then that's pretty much all we see of them until the last episode when father Blackwood comes back to try and save them and get this crazy time travel egg, which Maybe I maybe I kept missing it, but I felt like or they just kept it a mystery. But I'm like, they didn't explain enough other than that. This is a mysterious egg and it can change the passing of time because Blackwood was on this island or wherever he was secluded. And in his time, 15 years, almost 15 years passed for him. Yeah. And only a few months. So I wish they 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 brought it up in the beginning and kind of didn't really do anything with with that aspect of it until the end when Sabrina goes all timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly and decides to just fuck everything all up. (laughs) Yes, she saves everything, but Jesus Christ, she's like, I have a soup's crazy idea. And I'm like, you and your dumb ideas and just doing whatever you want, you spoiled teenage brat. (laughs) I totally... I agree with you, actually. Um, maybe I didn't think about that too much when I was watching it the second time for real. Uh, but they did do yeah. a good job with the egg at the very end with... Like Cthulhu or whatever the fuck they did with it. Yeah, and unleashed something. And so we don't know what that something is. So, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, like I said, I, did, I never really thought, I didn't really think about it like that. Um, or never just really thought about it in general. But yeah, the egg... The egg was a big centerpiece of this show, yet we don't know a lot about it. Father Blackwood, I don't think at any point in time, really talked about what it was. Ambrose, when we see that, uh, when Sabrina is able to travel through time for the first, well, for the first time, when Ambrose finds her in, in, in the carnival and brings her back to the, to, to the Kinkle Mines, where he's been mm-hmm. hiding out, and he has the egg, 
Ambrose doesn't even know fully what he has. You know, he, he just doesn't know. But somehow, some way, within a matter of minutes, Sabrina maybe not know what she had, but she realized she could use it to travel through time, which I found really odd that she was just able to pick up on that. So maybe she has some sort of sense that I just, I'm missing here. But, I don't know, because there was one point um, Lilith mentions time magic to Sabrina. Yeah. And even before Lilith is able to finish explaining what time magic is, Sabrina interrupts her and she's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. I know what to do now. Like, no, bitch, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Let, oh. let Lilith finish. You don't okay, fuck this up. I think the thing we have to keep in mind, though, is that we're working with an eight episode season. Yeah. You know? And it's an and, it, and a lot happened to this season. Actually, to tell you the truth, I was a little nervous about today's podcast just because I wasn't sure with how much they crammed in if we would have enough time to even really talk about everything. And, but with the way you and I discuss things, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover everything just in way out of order. But still, yeah, I think we're uh, doing a pretty good job so far. But who knows? <laughs> Let so, us know, listeners. <laughs> but um. No, you talk about uh, Judas and Judith. You know, when I first watched it, first watched the season, I knew instantly that's those were the two. You know, you see Ambrose and uh, Prudence looking on at these children. You know, these like fifteen-year-old kids, not knowing who they are. And then once they're about to kill Father Blackwood, who, which by the way, do you realize he was given that egg by the creature from the Black Lagoon? I'm just <laughs> that's interesting. That this is yeah. like. There's this random sea monster who's gonna just hand you an egg. Uh, I know. I think this last, especially this last time, I I remember noticing that and just being like, Swamp Thing, what are you doing here? <laughs> hey, thank you. But actually, what was really cool about that, not so much the creature itself, but he did mention something that in like the last 15 years, this is not verbatim in any way, but he was talking about in the last 15 years, he has learned about mythical powers that were behind, beyond comprehension of the coven of the Church of Night, and that he has now opened up more to a much larger larger god, or, you know, he just, he's learned more about the arts and these rich, all these different rituals and stuff that he had comprehension of even 15 years before that. So his mind is probably beyond anywhere where the coven is, as far as what he know, what his not, what he's learned in his knowledge. And that's why later on in the season, he forms, I think, that alliance with the pagans. Well, he's got the mark of Cain. There's nothing they can do about that. They can't kill him. And they mm-hmm. are obviously what that is. But the pagans, I think, learn that they can, they maybe not trust the Blackwood, but they know that this guy is legit. They, he knows what he's talking about. So I, I would be very interested in learning more about everything Blackwood went through in that 15-year period to end up where he ended up. Because that, I feel like we did not get enough backstory on. No. Maybe we'll get something in the form of flashbacks next season. I love flashbacks. They're good. Flashbacks are good filler, too. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Father Blackwood, I think, just had a very interesting transition this season. You know, going just from the head of the church at night to this just, like, this screech-like character, you know, who looks like he probably lives, you know, he lives in a shack in the woods. And Grizzly mm. Adams type. And he's practicing this magic. And he's doing these rituals that are just far beyond anything that your standard Greendale coven would ever think about doing. You know, it's more probably in line with what the pagans would actually be doing. But oh, sure. 
we're going to learn more next season about what the hell it was that he rose out of that egg. And I'm interested. I just, yeah, I agree with you, though. I wish we had more of a backstory of the egg. We know very little about it, yet it played a big centerpiece in this season. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll just have to wait and see what happens with uh, Blackwood and the egg. God damn it, I felt like there was something else I was going to say. I have the worst memory. <laughs> <laughs> um. Because what was it? Because then they, they got him with, oh, so with Blackwood again, and, you know, he hates the Spellmans and he wants to get rid of them. And you kind of assume at first that it's everything Sabrina has done. That's just kind of really, in a sense, left a bad taste in his mouth for the family. And he just cannot stand them. And then losing control over Zelda last season and all this stuff. So he is like hell bent <laughs> on revenge. You feel like, and it, he, like the, the, he holds them personally responsible for everything that has happened. But at the same time, so at first you're like, okay, so it's just the events of, of the series is why he hates them. But then when Zelda is in that nether realm and, and Edward's leading them kind of through past, present, whatever, we see young Zelda and young Blackwood. And you can tell that he, you get the sense that young Blackwood even then resented Zelda and possibly her and Hilda, the Spellmans, at at the very least her, because he's just, it's just real quick snippet of the two youngins at the school. Yeah. Blackwood finds the page in the book or whatever, crushes it up, throws it away. And he's like, never you mind Spellman or whatever he says very dismissively to, to Zelda. And then so grown up Zelda sees what it was. And it's a picture of the, the triple moon, the three moons representing the triple goddess. So then I, it kind of made me start wondering, like, how far back does this, I hate to say the word rivalry because it makes it sound so trivial because it's, I feel like it's more than that. But how far back does this hatred Blackwood has towards at least Zelda go? Right. Well, keep in mind, and they do touch up on this in the first two seasons, just, you know, kind of, uh, kind of briefly, but Blackwood has always had differences in opinion from Edward Spellman. So, okay, so that's, yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And him and Edward, Edward wanted to bring the, wanted the, wanted the church to open up more to, you know, where mortals and uh, witches and warlocks can mingle, mate, be with each other, you know, basically to create this, like, ultimate entity and live in harmony with each other, you know, where they can mate and make, you know, they could have half witch, half mortal baby, you know, which... Uh, I think that's where Edward wanted it. And then you got Blackwood, who's just on the completely opposite side of that, who's, you know, I know we've said this before, but, you know, he's a misogynist. He's old. He's an old timer. The older ways and uh, how things, how the church used to do things. And he wanted to bring it back to that. He could not, he, he, he could not modernize. And right. I, I, so I don't think so much it's always about him in Zelda. It's more about him and his history with the Spellmans. Because we even see when they're in the Nether Realm, Zelda and uh, 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 Blackwood as teenagers sitting with each other. And, you know, he's looking through that book. Zelda's like, what is that? And she's like, nothing. And then he throws the page away. And then Zelda finds it was the half moon. But they've known each other for a long time, obviously. And I'd be interested to know what were those years at the Academy like for young Zelda, young Hilda, young Edward, and young Blackwood, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I'd like to see how, because I, you know what, I'm willing to bet it's a lot kind of like Harry Potter in a way with the story of Snape and uh, Harry's dad. 
So I'm wondering, maybe he's always had a thing for Zelda when he was young, but then older brother Edward comes in and is like, no, don't touch my sister, you know, and, and bullies him. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Bullied by Edward. It is possible. Why not? Because we really don't know anything about Edward except for the tiny tidbits they want to give us each season that fits the season's plot and narrative. So maybe, maybe, yeah. God, flashbacks. I would love flashbacks. We learned this season, though, in the Netherrealm, Edward knew that Lucifer was Sabrina's father. He made the deal with him so they could have a baby. So we didn't know that until this season. We didn't know that Edward knew that. You know, I thought that was cool that we found that out about him. But yeah, you're right. We learn a little more about Edward each season, but I have a feeling, just a a feeling, that Edward's not going to play a role next season. I feel like him being in the nether realm and guiding his sisters is kind of like his swan song for Sabrina. Sure. But I really hope, if not, if we do see him again, instead of interacting with Zelda or Hilda, I hope he gets one last time to see Sabrina. Even though he's not her real father, she always thought of him as a father and Oh, sure. Still, probably still thinks of him more of a father than, than, than what Lucifer is. Oh, yeah. The the father versus dad kind of conversation. You know, yep. the sperm donor versus the one that raises you. Right, right. There is another character we haven't talked about yet. Well, let's but, take a, another quick break because I have the bladder about the size of a peanut. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, right, I'm sure you needed to know that. I'm going to go do the same thing and we'll meet up back here in a minute. Welcome back. And- I'm back. So I was just saying before uh, we took a little break there that there's another character we haven't even touched up on yet and haven't even mm-hmm. mentioned their name, and that's Prince Caliban. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Sand Prince, the Mud Prince or whatever? Loved him. First time around, I actually did like him too. Uh, second time around, appreciated him even more. Um, Caliban was, I think, very necessary for Sabrina. She needed a rival. You know, and this idea of Sabrina taking over hell, but yet everybody, you know, like the Three Kings and like every other demon there seems to be against the idea of Sabrina Morningstar taking over. But here's this also, you know, this young, good-looking, brooding guy who... You can't find a shirt. (laughs) Yes, you can't find a shirt. And when he does, it's always too tight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Caliban's character, I thought was just, I thought he was maybe not genius. A work of genius might be over, maybe over an overstretch, but I thought he was a very well-written character. You know, he had to be that competition that Sabrina needed. And at the same time, you know, he was manipulative, but he was, char- you know, he was charming. He was handsome. You know, but he was also very goal-driven. He was a cheater. He was a liar. Caliban was the epitome of what, you know, in a way, Caliban kind of in a small way resembled Sabrina's father. You know, everything you think of as what the devil would be, Caliban kind of kind of embraced those traits. It's just that he didn't have the title. And he had, but he had the support. He had the support of hell. And the fact that he even went out of his way to try to help her friends. And I don't think he wanted to help her friends because he he was a good guy. He did it to gain her trust. So I think he wouldn't see his betrayals later on. Mm -hmm. So 
shame we're not going to get any more of him, I think, in season four, because technically he now he's, you know, embedded in the walls. But I really liked Caliban. Mm -hmm. I really did. Um, And I I do hope there is some sort of appearance from him next season. Yeah, I could see them trying to see them writing a way for him to get out of the, the stone prison that he's basically in, being that he's made of mud. But yeah, I agree that he was his character and his drive were needed to show to really kind of highlight Sabrina's drive and ambition and her true want to rule in hell. Absolutely. I mean, I think if there was if there wouldn't have been a Caliban, Sabrina's purpose in hell would have really served no purpose. Mm -hmm. Because I think she needed to she Sabrina is a competitor. She always feels like she needs to compete. If we look back at season two, when we look at her trying to compete for the spot of top boy, mm-hmm. you know, she's very competition driven because she, she believes she's a winner. And Caliban was just that perfect type of, uh, it was just really what she needed to bring that side of her character out. And he was just as competitive as she, as she was. And he was willing to stoop to whatever low he could so he could win. In fact, I thought it funny during the second part of the Unholy Regalia where they had to recover the bowl that when she glamored the other prisoner to look like her mm-hmm. and then uh, when they let him go because he was pardoned, that was really her and she's running away with the bowl and Caliban's like, oh, who's got the moral high ground now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he like totally mocks her for it because she was just giving him shit for the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Very well played, very well thought out character. I really hope we get more of him in the next season, but uh, you know that'll uh, that'll uh, that'll be seen when the time comes. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed Caliban. I mean, obviously there was times where I was just like, Ugh, this guy again, but only because he was that obstacle for Sabrina to kind of overcome in her quest for the crown you know to rule hell and everything so agreed yeah his character definitely served his served its purpose and you didn't feel like he was just kind of tossed in to serve that purpose they gave him a they gave him more you know there was more to that character than just her rival and what's and i love the fact that you know you meet caliban very early on as soon as as ross harvey and sabrina end up on the beach caliban is for the most part there you know, building that ridiculously awesome sandcastle. Mm-hmm. Re- um, and he points them. He points them to pandemonium. You know, you have to follow the trail of blood, which eventually turned into a red brick road, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz we were talking about earlier. But Caliban knew exactly who that was. I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind he knew who Sabrina Morningstar was from the moment she wiped up on that beat, washed up on that beat. And he needed her to get to, to, get to pandemonium. Um, but yeah, another great character they brought in this season was Mambo Marie. Yes. I'm glad that they brought in that voodoo aspect with witchcraft and and spell casting and everything. And, and I loved that it was, um, you know, Prudence and Prudence and Ambrose had encountered, um, Mambo while they were searching for Blackwood. And then. Prudence was the one that actually called her when they were trying to summon all the rogue witches or whatever. And I loved Prudence's kind of defense of bringing in Mambo to, to Zelda that, you know, there's, there's this whole other aspect of magic and witchcraft that isn't tied to 
Satan or worshiping anything yeah. hellbound right. and to explore that. And I, and I loved it. And I was like, yeah, that's, if you guys, your powers are starting to wane, you need to start reaching out to every single resource that you can get. Absolutely. No. And I completely agree with you. They actually, they, they, she was, she was completely necessary for everything that transpired uh, in the last couple of episodes. I mean, mm-hmm. she played a role. She looked after Zelda, you mm-hmm. know, she protected Zelda all the way of it, you know, before they were brought back to life and Blackwood killed them. She protected her all the way up until the end there. So in Mambo Marie, you know, she brings that aspect to the witching world that they don't really delve in themselves, you know. So bringing in outside magic to help them was very necessary to fight off the pagans because the coven alone, with how weak they were, could not do it. And mm. Her and the other witches that they summoned brought them, is basically what helped right, help right, bring them to victory um, against the pagans, partially. I thought it was great that, uh, uh, what was her name, Galia? Galia? Um, Gala? She was the uh, witch from this Christmas special. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love that she returned. Um, the other witches that they brought in as well were really cool. So that was really neat that they brought in all these different uh, older witches to kind of help protect them along with Mambo Marie. And yeah. the idea that there's these covenless witches, you know, the kind of, yeah, these rogue independent witches that just, yeah, kind of wander, do their own thing. Some of them were pretty terrifying. I liked when they were kind of going through and listing what their powers were. You have the, you had the pestilence one, which served as a very good ally during the, for the fight against because the pagans. He- she killed all the greenery that was around the academy so they couldn't grow there. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. right. And then I loved how they utilized all those witches when Sabrina went to the carnival and they they brought all those rogue witches around and they were doing the chanting and basically harnessing their power to Sabrina. And so Sabrina was able to fight off some of the evil carnies using the other's witches' magic. And she killed a whole mess of carnies when she did that. <laughs> Heard it. So I really liked that whole aspect of it. And then in talking about other forms of witchcraft, because at the end we see that Hild- or, uh, Zelda wakes up from the nether realm with knowing how to defeat the pagans. And basically yeah. that's to call upon the uh, triple goddess, I think is what she's referred to as, the with the three phases of the moon yeah. and that, that imagery. So after watching the season... I, I it kind of piqued my interest in Wiccan and that culture, I guess. So I did a little reading, and yeah, so the Wiccans tend to worship the the triple goddess and the horned god, which is the male counterpart, and they they are worshipped as equals. There's no one is higher than the other. There is no one main god. It's kind of like worship everything because all these powers played a played a role in in the creation of the world. Purpose. Yeah. Yep. So I thought so I thought it was interesting that at the end the coven Hild or Zelda is now kind of making that shift possibly from hellbound worship to something more natural and nature based unless yeah. they're going to somehow incorporate the triple goddess and the horned god into more of a satanic role. I don't know. I mean, it's again work of fiction. They they can take the liberties and 
make interpretations as they want. But it would be interesting if they do end up kind of making that shift from, again, hellbound to more nature-based. Right. Well, that, I think we got a feel for that in the Hair Moon episode, too. I mean, it was a very different type of ritual that we would see them perform in, you know, in comparison to, oh, Jesus Christ, what was it called? The one where they... Uh, Feast of the... Yeah, the mm-hmm. Feast of Peace. You know, it was a very different type of ritual. It was more, they were more in in tune with Mother Nature. They released the rabbit. They were singing. Um, Which, Uh. by the way, notice for that one, for that song, it was in sing-along format. Was it? Yeah, go back and, if you ever want, go back and watch that part of the episode. The lyrics come up only for this one song. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember, there's a little ball that bounces between words. <laughs> it was a sing-along. I watch everything on closed caption, so everything is a sing-along for me. But <laughs> I, so I, I wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> Seriously, turn off your closed captions and just watch that scene. And you'll see how I thought, oh, so funny. It was so oh, funny. And then, yeah, when you listen to the lyrics or sing-along or read along with the lyrics it's just utter fucking nonsense and at one point the lyrics say like and then they came back from whatever with a song that makes no sense there's some line along those lines of this is kind of gibberish and it's it it really is but you know that was actually since since we're talking about the hair moon you know that was actually an extremely good episode actually it was probably one of my favorite episodes of this season because we learn this is the, the this is the season where we really learned that the uh, carnival's ringmaster is. Um, this is the this is the episode where uh, Hilda is cursed to turn into a spider. When Sabrina's out in the woods with the uh, 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 with the rabbit, she finds the pagans all in their weird like masks and goggles. That was me. I'd creep the fuck out. Mm-hmm. I definitely would be running a lot faster than what she was doing. That's for mm-hmm. sure. But it also showed them trying to come together, these two different groups with different beliefs and ideas, just to see if there could be some sort of peace and familiarity between them. And there ended up not being. And then, you know, they tried, you know, the Spellmans form a circle to try to push them out with the rain spell. And then you realize they're not strong enough. Their powers are just not what they were. And then this is also where Hilda, like, offers a pie as a peace offering. And the way they dig into it, pie oh my god they curse the pie then they mm-hmm. dig in and they take away their moon which they needed in order to regain their strength from the angel blood that uh uh, uh she had got that dorian excitement from the angel gave to sabrina and got totally fucking wasted on <laughs> i know i couldn't believe she left his ass there <laughs> And she, like, he said it because I think he wanted to clear up his complexion. <laughs> yes, because he's, like, even in the first episode, he helps Sabrina get to get to hell and everything. Yeah, and the, like the, But she has to promise to bring back the flower because he has oh. a zit. Oh, he has a zit. Oh, of course. <laughs> but we know Dorian is, I mean, that that's his okay. whole shtick, is his vanity. Yeah, exactly. But uh, going back to the hair moon, you know, something else really major happened in that episode that played out through the rest of the season. And that was how that episode affected Agatha and Dorcas. I mean, in past se- in the last couple seasons, Agatha and Dorcas have just always kind of been seen as the right right hand of Prudence. And in this season, they're kind of, you know, they're still her sisters. But now we're, we're, we're seeing them kind of drift off on their own a little bit. I thought we were going to get more from them. 
Agatha was completely turned around and just she she fell hard under Patton's spell. Mm -hmm. Like, super, super. She's still under it, but now she's under Blackwood's control, but it's because of what happened with Pan. And Agatha killed Dorcas. Killed her sister. Uh, Prudence said they found her in, like, a, a closet or something. Like, just completely butchered. And Dork, so that 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 that's crazy. Um, Dorcas, you know, got turned into stone, just like how Roz got turned into stone by the snake charmer. So I mean, Agatha now is just like this killing machine. You know, she's on a rampage, and now Blackwood is going to use that to his advantage to try to get at the Spellman later on. So a lot happened in that episode with the new with uh, the development of these new traits and these characters mm-hmm. it was just insane just yeah. insane and you know of the th- of the three sisters you know prudence is my favorite but agatha was always the one who i thought was maybe the more level headed of her and dorcas but now she's just as uh, susceptible to manipulation and anything else uh, like that than really any other person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was happy we got more Agatha this season, but then, yeah, when she pretty much just became essentially a weapon for the for the pagans and then Blackwood, I, I got a little disappointed. I was like, we we got more, she got more screen time, yeah. but super evil. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on. Well, Pan, Pan, I mean, Pan even said that his gaze basically causes you to go insane. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, and that's, you know, and it's exactly what happened for her. I felt bad for, for, for Agatha this season, you know, and I'm very interested to see what happens with her next season. You know, hopefully, I'm really hoping that they don't do another short season. I really hope that they do it right. Give it at least 10 episodes, maybe 11, whatever. Eleven's an odd, odd number for episodes, I think. But still, um, because I like to get more from her. I like to see exactly where, in the mindset she's in now, where that's going to take her, where that's going to take, you know, uh, the season. But I have a feeling next season we're probably going to see the end of her. Even though it's the last season, I think we're, I think she's probably going to die, personal opinion. Yeah, but, yeah, you're calling it now. Well, I want to kind of go back to the the pagans a little bit and not just Pan, but we've got. Sure, sure. Let's see. Circe, she's the snake one. She's the snake charmer. Circe, that's her name. Yep, Circe's the snake charmer. And then, because then there's the the spider, spider lady. But so with Circe being the snake one, she's the one that has the ability to turn people to stone like a Medusa. Yep. Mm -hmm. So in that (laughs) season and Harvey's all like, no, I'm going to go in there. You know, they're at the carnival, like Sabrina's gone back in time and they're going to try and stop the pagans and everything. And it's Harvey and Roz at Circe's tent. And Harvey's like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to take her out, you know, and Roz is like, no, no, I can do it. Harvey's like hell bent. God damn it. No pun intended. But he's just like for sure that this is what he's going to do. And he holds up his little mirror and he makes that reference to Clash of the Titans. And he's like, well, it worked for him and it's going to work for me. And it immediately gets knocked out of his hands. I'm like, you are so fucking stupid, Harvey. Your band sucks. <laughs> then Roz comes in and actually and does end up saving Harvey. What? And Harvey drops 
the he's dorkiest like, line. He's like, he's like, oh no. my god, Ross, you saved my life. That's so freaking hot. And then they start making out, and I'm like, this. I wrote down they're totally gonna do it on top of her body. <laughs> That's what I thought too. And I was like, God, I was like, this is part of the reason why I kind of fell in love with this show was that was just such the dorkiest dumb fucking line and the way he delivered it and then there was another line that Harvey delivered it's when they trapped maybe it wasn't Circe maybe it was the spider one to try it oh no it was Circe again to try and unstone Dorcas so they summon her and they they trap her in like a demon's trap circle or whatever to make her fix everything and they've got the stones the coven has the stones and that's how they were able to summon the pagan witch harvey comes out from behind one of the stones with an axe and makes some dumb line about like or we'll go zero dark 30 on your ass or some shit yeah. i was like god damn it who's writing his dialogue <laughs> you know what one of my favorite parts was in the final episode when the when the coven uh, basically infiltrates uh, the uh, uh, the carnivals and basically runs them all out of town for the most part. I loved the scene where Hilda goes into the tent of the the of the of the pagan that cursed her, and she was like, I don't remember exactly what she said, but she was like, she was like, you are, she's like, you're right, love. I I am a good weaver or something like that, you know. And she shows her, which I thought it was odd because you know it's a it was a voodoo doll essentially. Yeah, And I found it odd that she created a voodoo doll, considering that she doesn't practice voodoo. But still, whatever. It is what it is. And the thing she did with the doll and how you watched her just bend in ways we are not meant to bend our bodies. And Hilda is a loving, loving aunt. She is the first person to offer you a cup of tea, to bake you a cookie. She wants to talk to you. She just wants you to know she's a good person. But if you fuck with <laughs> her family, and in this case, her, <laughs> because it is the, her fault, the pagan's fault. God, I wish I remembered her name. She, that Dr. C is dead. It's her fault. She will come after you and be, she'll just, she, she's ruthless and she'll show you no mercy, just like in season two. Yep. Uh, where she killed, uh, what's her name, with cyanide, yep. you know, for fucking with her sister. Hilda's a badass bitch, dude. Yep. Yes, and she she takes no shit from no one. Don't let the don't let the uh the the, the charming little British lady fool you. She will fucking stab you in the face, you know. Exactly, and that's I think yeah. During that scene, I was just like, see, this is why you don't fuck with Hilda. Because again, yeah, she comes off as so sweet and mild-mannered, but she is ruthless as fuck. I love you know, her. I, I also really like the part before Sabrina traveled back to save everybody. Before that happened, when uh, it looked like the pagans had won. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, they uh, they got Harvey in the Green Man. They were sacrificing him to the Green Man, which that was fucking crazy. How they did that. I mean, the way it was coming to life and it's... Uh, limbs the branches were like stabbing through his body you know that was crazy and then you know you got Roz and Theo tied up while Robin is tied up as well as a traitor and Theo and you know Roz are made to watch both of them die in mm-hmm. front of them it, it, it was absolutely it's absolutely insane it was absolutely insane to just to see all that transpire and just to give off the impression how is this going to be fixed you mm-hmm. know they're they're 
And I just, uh, the way they came around it was really clever, but it really showed how far the pagans were willing to go to complete their task, you know, what they set out to do to bring back the Green Man, which I still don't really understand fully what the Green Man's point was. Do you? Like, what? I, I, I never, I tried really figuring that out and reading between the lines. I didn't do any personal research online, but I just didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Like, what did the what did Green Man do? Yeah, I didn't do any, I didn't do any research into the Green Man and what his lore was all about. I guess I just kind of looked at it as rebirthing the planet in the name of paganism and the Green Man being the ruler now. Maybe to... that's all it was because I okay. think because even after Sabrina goes back into time and fixes everything in a sense where she stops, you know, they put the town to sleep with the lullaby so no one goes down to the carnival to get the free yeah, candied sure. apples. Robin points out that they don't the pagans don't need the people. They will eat the apples and sacrifice themselves to give life to the green man so that the green man can then go and just bring earth back to square one where it's just plant. It's just the earth, no humans, no witches. Maybe that's all the green man was to represent was do away with humanity and humans and those that have destroyed the earth. That's extreme hippieism. Just cleanse. (laughs) Cleanse. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Wow, that's crazy. That was my uh, take. I don't. I'm, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's lore around the Green Man that it goes bigger, deeper than that. But within the context of the show and no googling, that was my take. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pagans are cool. I liked them. I don't know. I think the next season, the next big baddie is going to be Blackwood again. Uh, I think Blackwood's going to be the center of the next season with this mystical fucking egg monster that he had. Uh, I have a feeling, okay, now this just came to me. I think that maybe instead of instead of Blackwood being the big baddie of next season, because he has lost control of whatever was in this egg, and at the end, even Agatha is like, what have we birthed? What have we done? You know, even Agatha, in, in her mind, wherever her mental state is, she acknowledges that what they did is probably really fucking bad. Right. And- so what if... Blackwood is forced to join forces with the Spellmans in order to contain, like realizing he done fucked up, this beast or power is more than what he was expecting, anticipating, and can handle, even with all his extra training that, or, you know, magic learning that he had acquired in that 15 years. And now after spending three seasons with his hate for the Spellmans growing, what if next season he's put in a position where he has to ask for their help? and fight this the enemy of my enemy kind of thing. I, sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I can get behind that totally. My only, my only thing that I would say about that theory is his final words, the, fi- the final words spoken in that episode, in the last episode, right after Agatha asked, what, Father, what, ha- what, what have you birthed? He, uh, the final thing he says, he says, the end of the Spellman and the end of all things. So... The end of all things is what stuck out to me because it sounds to me like the pagans. What Father Blackwood is trying to do is cleanse the earth. Now, I could be totally wrong overthinking that, whatever, but I think he has more intentions than just getting revenge on the Spellman. I think he's trying to wipe out all of mortal kind and maybe all of witch kind. But at the same time, going back to your theory, 
maybe he realizes he is he's not exempt from this. So maybe this thing that he hatched, if our theory is at all correct, doesn't see Father Blackwood as, you know, someone that can be spared. He's there too. You're gonna die. Just mm-hmm. like every so I think Blackwood's intention is to just kill all things and start the world all over again in his image. But this monster, this creature, is more powerful than he than he anticipated. And he's not gonna be able to control it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and who knows, maybe even within that theory that hopefully Judas and Judith will play a bigger role. We'll get a little bit more about them and a little more backstory on them yeah. uh, next season. Because I just, I was kind of like, when they showed that they had grown up and they were like these weird twins, I was very intrigued. I was like, what are they going to do? How powerful are these are these kids, you know? Sure. And then it was oh, just kind of, eh, they didn't really go. So hopefully more next season. But that's an interesting point because, yeah, they didn't do anything really with, like you said earlier, with Judas and Judah, uh, Judas and Judith this uh, this season. They, they didn't really do shit with them. They stuck them in a dollhouse, mumbled there to comfort them a little bit. They're out of the dollhouse and Blackwood has them again, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how many years later, can I mean, if you hatch a monster like this, can you really start the next season years later? You can't. If it's if the, if it's as big as it sounded, you know, we're talking like a Cthulhu-like creature in the middle of Greendale. You can't start the season years later. Unless, unless they do like a time jump. So the season starts X number of months, years or whatever later. And then the season is just done with flashbacks. <laughs> Let me bring up flashbacks one more time because I really <laughs> like them. <laughs> Fair enough. All but right. if they were to do a time jump, I think that's the only way I could see it working is you start off in the middle of, you know, in the shit. And then you kind of see the aftermath of everything. And then it's like six months, six months ago. Right. Sure. Okay. Trying to find some notes here that I wrote. thought I wrote them. Okay. So I know we keep going back and forth with like a uh, back to the unholy regalia. But there's one thing I do want to that we haven't really talked about with it. And that's the protectors of the regalia. Mm-hmm. Okay, and God, for the freaking life of me, I wrote all of their names down, and I can't find it, because the only one I remember is the coolest one of all of them, Vlad the Impaler. So awesome. I love that they brought in Vlad the Impaler, and what I thought very interesting about him is that you learn that Judas, the great betrayer, of course, is the father of vampires. How freaking awesome is that? That was a fun, and I love how they just kind of threw that in, into a sentence real quick and didn't come back to it. So if you weren't paying attention, you missed it. And and if, and you know, I mean, you and me, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, uh, we're we're not, we're not religious people, you know, but anyone who's, anyone knows who Judas is, you know, Mm -hmm. Judas is done. And I love the idea that they took this biblical betrayer and turned him into a fucking blood-sucking vampire. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love that. I think that's great writing. And Vlad the Impaler, you know, I loved the way they portrayed his character. He, the, his makeup, the, the the outfit that they gave the character. You know, if you look at an actual picture of Vlad the Impaler, they did a great job representing that and making mm-hmm. him look a historical figure. And, you know, he, he he puts a spell on Sabrina, you know, and she is under his spell. She's under his control. 
And he's like, they're going to let me feast on your flesh now. She's like, of course. And then he bites her neck. And next thing you know, blah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then he's like, and then he feels, he, he realizes that she's a celestial. And uh, he, had, he can't do shit now. And he, she just walks away with his 30 pieces of gold or uh, silver. But yeah, I thought that was a really awesome thing to throw into the show. Great well, twist on that. And I, and I liked, you know, because yeah, after Vlad is affected by Sabrina's celestial blood and she snaps out of it, and she goes over and she's like, oh, and consent, it's real. And then kicks him <laughs> in the face. That is so true. That did. Oh, that's funny. Again, another one of those corny ass fucking lines. I just love two pieces. But yeah, the other protector was Herod. The, the, the crown. The crown. And okay. so what I liked, one thing I kind of found a little interesting about that one was that it's it's uh, Sabrina and Ambrose, and he's done all this research on the crown and has located it. And I want to go back to something I kind of noticed this season with Ambrose. but And they go to the tree and they pull out the crown. And then Herod comes out and he's like, who took my crown? And all I could think. All the books and scrolls on the crown and all the research that Ambrose did, there was never any mention of Herod coming back as the guardian and trying to, like, how did Ambrose not know? Caliban knew. Caliban straight out tell, told Sabrina, everyone knows that he's a he's the guardian. And I was like, well, apparently not Ambrose. And that's a little disappointing because he's kind of their library nerd. Guy. I mean, weird. Zelda yeah, even right. appoints Ambrose to basically librarian as she's trying to rebuild the academy right 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 and so then that kind of brought me to something i noticed a little bit for i guess for the first time first time really ever is this kind of trope of the black nerd now ambrose doesn't quote look like a nerd but he has the knowledge he has the skills and the resources and the life he's lived i think we just we figured out it was like 75 70 yeah 75 years old i think we just figured no 90 because he was in quarantine for 75 years or house arrest for 75 years either way he's old enough where he's got all this knowledge and everything and so i started thinking about this trope of the black nerd because another recent example for me i just finished batwoman and lucius fox's son luke fox he's he's batwoman's kate kane's kind of guy at the desk you know like guy at the computer He does the research. He's like the tech and everything. He's got the glasses and dresses really nice in a suit and everything. And this, so again, this trope of the black nerd. And I wrote down, I did a, I did a Google search quick and there are, there are a whole mess of articles and listicles on TV, everyone's favorite black nerds and everything, but it's usually like smart, little awkward kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, kind of twitchy. So when they're presented with whatever conflict they get really nervous you know we see that in ambrose he's like oh sabrina what have you done his eyes get all big and nervous so we have ambrose from sabrina luke fox from batwoman cheaty from the good place and i love cheaty and he always got tummy aches in season six of the flash they introduce a character and he only appears in a couple of episodes and his name's chester but he's a total black nerd yep yep curtis holt AKA Mr. Terrific from Arrow, because he's his character comes in in the later seasons of that show and he becomes a part of the team. But he's he's really smart, he's very tech savvy. Um, but again, glasses, kind of a, a, a nerd like appearance. 
I'm seeing a theme here. Yep. And then even um, uh, Troy from Community was on a couple of these lists because while he was in the start of the series more of a jock type, he was still kind of awkward and kind of super into things, I guess. And as him and Abed's relationship became closer, you know, they grew closer. That character, Troy's character, kind of went away from that jock type and more towards a nerdy, dorky type, I guess. There's Lionel uh, from Dear White People, especially in the first season. He's, he's uh, spoilers for Dear White People. He's the black nerdy type. He's really quiet, timid. He eventually comes out, and as the show progresses, he his personality comes out more and more, and he's less quiet and timid. Yeah. And then... There's good old Jordy LaForge of Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> OG Black Nerd. <laughs> Let me ask so, you, since, since you brought since you uh, since you did your research on that, do you see this more as like a um, I don't know, like do you think uh, for as far as the black nerd goes, do you think these type of characters are written more as a stereotype with the way that they're portrayed? With what with one of the articles that I read, it was more the the black nerd trope appears where where shows need to kind of diver, diversify their cast and introduce you know maybe a black character a black actor but yeah. in an attempt to fight off any quote black stereotypes they go almost that opposite so if you think of a black stereotype as like a thug or a gangster whatever your word association and imagery is um when you think of like a black character in a show yeah. They wanted to go kind of the opposite to not feed into those stereotypes. Oh, but I yeah. feel like in doing so, they're feeding into like the nerd stereotype and creating a whole new stereotype of. That's exactly what I was just thinking. Yes. Yes. So That's I, I so feel. Hollywood too. That's such a Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Weird. So yeah, apparently, I mean, I'm a little late to this party because like I said, when I Googled black TV nerds, there is a whole mess of stuff that popped up. So I clicked the first couple of links and I'm like, okay, well, clearly I am not the first one to have noticed this or thought of it, but to maybe think of it in a, because like the top few articles, they were like, you know, it's like a BuzzFeed listicle. Oh, TV's favorite nerds, black nerds, and kind of a celebration of that. And there's, and that's fine and everything. I guess I was looking at it from more of a slightly more critical So with Ambrose's character, then, you know, sharing these same traits as other Hollywood black nerds, you know, it's, damn, I never really thought of it like that, Jen. Now you got me thinking. (laughs) And also in Flash, while Cisco is not black, he is a person of color, but he's kind of their nerd also. You know, he's, he designs all the suits. He does all the techie stuff. I'm trying to think uh, Supergirl. I'm still kind of working my way through season three, but they have Jean Johns, Martian Manhunter. And I don't know if you would so much call him, his character, a nerd, but he definitely, being an alien, even though he's been on this planet for quite some time, still has some of that, I guess, quote, social awkwardness right. that could be attributed to nerdism <laughs> gotta remember about martian manhunter sean john is is his disguise right really martian manhunter underneath just like with superman yeah clark superman's disguise although i totally see where you're going with that i think about all the other characters that you just listed like you said i mean it's like hollywood created their own sub stereotype of what a what what a black nerd 
would be like, it would look like, it would sound like, and you know, would the things they would talk about and stuff like that. And I never thought about it until you just mentioned it. And now I'm thinking that all of it, I don't know every character you just mentioned, but I know a few of them. But now when you watch something and they bring up a techie, quote, nerdy character of color, you're probably going to watch it in a slightly different way. I don't know how I can unsee that. (laughs) Ceiling broken. (laughs) The illusion's busted. Well, I will say one thing. When it comes to black nerds and when it comes to the character of Ambrose, I would say Ambrose shares a lot of traits with, in my opinion, the OG black nerd, Steve Urkel. And Urkel is on those lists, but he was pretty, he's a pretty obvious one, so I did not but mention him. Keep in mind, Steve Urkel wasn't just Steve Urkel. He was Steve Urkel. Stefan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ambrose is a very good looking, he's a very, very good looking guy. Not that all these other, all these other men are good looking, but it's when it comes to the sex appeal part of it. Stefan Urkel, very, very sexually appeasing, you know? Oh, Laura was off her feet. Okay. And I would say I would put him more on the lines of the Stefan Arkell when it comes to the Black Nerd. Because let's face it, I mean, Ambrose is a good looking motherfucker. He is mm-hmm. really hot guy. He he attracts Prudence, who you know is, in my opinion, like the best looking character in the series. I think she's extremely attractive. So he attracts the most attractive person on the show, in my opinion. He's suave, but he's also, you know, he's fidgety, you know? Like, mm-hmm. when, when he realizes Sabrina does something stupid, he's like, Cousin, what have you done? What have you yeah. done? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, he doesn't fit the the look, the the general nerd look, where a lot of these characters that I just I jotted down, they do. They, they do fit more of that, the look with the glasses and everything. I mean, Chidi had the glasses and the sweater vests and everything. You didn't really realize how stacked Chidi was until the episode where he kind of loses his shit and he's in that super tight t-shirt and he makes that crazy chili. Is this a spoiler for you? Season four? I don't know if it's season three or four, but uh, either way, sorry. Either way. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, let's get back on topic here but that was yeah. that, you know what you're right i'm never gonna look at that, that that the same ever again i've never thought about that and you know i wonder if any of that has to do with me being you know with anything with me being white or just you know not paying attention i just but it's something i don't think i'm going to be able to unsee now mm-hmm. because these characters are written so similarly that maybe our brains are just used to thinking that's how it is fucking hollywood <laughs> possibly because for me it really didn't click like i said i just finished batwoman and luke fox very had um moments with kate kane of oh, oh what are you doing i can't you can't do that bubble like very kind of nervous fidgety moments and it wasn't until seeing ambrose having yeah. that s- very similar reaction and this isn't the first time ambrose reacts this way towards some dumb shit sabrina's done he's, a, he's done sometimes multiple times in the season Especially but for black. whatever, yeah, but for whatever reason, maybe because I was just fresh off of that and it just all of a sudden clicked. And I was like, what the hell? And then like, yeah, Chidi popped in in my mind. And so then I did the Google and I was like, all right, I'm not not the first one to this thought. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to need to wrap it up here in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a couple other things I wanted to touch up on in regards to season three. Uh, first off, I just we didn't talk a lot of we we talked a little bit we didn't but we didn't really talk much about Lucifer this season. And Lucifer, although I don't think was in it for as 
He, we know he played. He played a much larger role this season as he did last season. He was only in two episodes, no, one episode last season. Um, and this season, he was almost in every single episode, but in only in spurt. But the but when he was on screen, he third he, he you know he was there to kind of set up what was going to happen. And what I really thought was interesting with Lucifer this season is we saw. I, I don't want. I don't know if humane is the right word because he's not a humane you know, being, but he started to, he, he, he was more expressive. I feel like in his emotions this season, maybe not like all loving, but like he really wanted Sabrina to win the unholy regalia. So she can take the throne. He really wanted that for her. Now, granted, it was probably more for the fact that it's the morning star name. Mm-hmm. He really wanted her to win. He was supportive of, you know, and, you know, even before the final Unholy Regalia, you know, he basically telepathically or whatever uh, uh, said to her, you know, you know, you have to go into this, go into this volcano and here you'll find a wall where Judas is embedded in, you know, like he's given her hints. He's trying to help. But when he's like chained in the dungeon and things like that, you know, he's just looking like he's like, when I get out of here, you know, I'm going to kill you all and things like that. But he really comes around from that point once he is freed and lilith is fearful for her life when uh she finds out that he had escaped but nothing really came from that i mean he he found her but really nothing happened there um and, well he, except oh no 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 she told him that she was pregnant with his child yep, yeah she banged right. blackwood while yeah. she, she put she put lucifer to sleep and that in that yeah. bath and then and then yeah her and blackwell blackwood apparently banged and now she's pregnant and then in exchange she gave blackwood the mark of cain yep. and then yep. separated the two cuz right. that's what lucifer wanted that was his end game was to separate from blackwood and lilith knowing that that's what lucifer wanted she needed right. a little insurance Right, right, of course, of course. But yeah, I thought Lucifer, you know, Lucifer's role this season, you know, it, it was a lot more, it was a lot more dominant, I felt. Um, and obviously, we're not going to see the last of him, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think we got a lot of, I'm going to try to use these, uh, this phrase sparingly as often as I can now, but there was a lot of character development with him this season, mm-hmm. as opposed to last. So yeah, Lucifer, uh, you know, I think there's still a lot more they could do with him. You know, a little more we can learn about him. Great played a played a great uh, part of great role in this uh, in this season. Mm-hmm. And we saw his butt again. <laughs> I think we're gonna get a butt shot every season from now on. So. I'm just here for the butt count, so that's all. That's the purpose. I'm still. <laughs> there you go. Um, and I know we need to wrap this up, but I did want to say real quick with that last episode, kind of doing the time travel thing. You know, because you're in that penultimate episode, you're left with this like, holy shit, how are they going to how are they going to come back from this? Like they the coven lost the pagans won all, you know, Sabrina right. lost. I, I I don't know. I just felt like the time travel piece was lazy. Like they they ran out of magic storylines or spells or something to to get them out of that. So then they're like, oh, yes, let's bring back this egg that we brought in. And in the first episode that we slightly quickly mentioned, because then at one point when future Sabrina comes down and releases present Sabrina or whatever, because there's also like a time jump, because then the episode begins with Ambrose narrating the story of the Holy Regalia and what happened. So when 
future Sabrina comes down to release present Sabrina and they're going back and forth with the time travel. And she's just like, just go with it. I felt like that was more for the audience than anyone else. Or, Cause right. if you're like me and you overthink time travel, then yeah, this is a paradox. This is not going to last. Shit's going to go all sorts of sideways soon right. because right. you, you can't do that. You spoiled little brat. <laughs> I think when TV shows like this, when these type of fictional shows uh, that have elements of magic and stuff like that, do you think when they bring in time travel, do you think that's just them running out of ideas? Kind of like my theory about carnivals in, the, in these kind of shows. A little bit. I mean, again, kind of like with musical numbers, it has to make sense. And I feel like, I mean, maybe that was the plan all along from episode one of, of this season, but it just, it felt lazy to me in a, in a show with magic and heaven and hell and all these other supernatural beings phenomenons y'all went time travel <laughs> the thing that worked out so well between it for season one and season two is that they were done back to back so that's what worked out so well between those two is just that these stories from the the, the plots and everything that happened in season one carried over immediately into season two you know there was barely any room to breathe um and they got all of that story out of the way right away and now with season three they their writers had time to think about what they're going to do next i think what may have happened i have a feeling that they knew they were being canceled by season four mm. um and it, it it just wasn't made public until much later on so it could have been just the writer saying you know what what does it matter what we do at this point Sure. You know, maybe the showwriters had maybe like six or seven seasons worth of episodes in and stories in their mind that none of which involved time travel. But now you're wrapping us up after two seasons or four seasons. OK, um, time travel. That'll expl- that explains everything. You know, this will bring it all together. Carnivals, <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I did like the pagan idea. I thought the pagans mm-hmm. were very cool. Um, personally, I would have liked to have seen it in another setting, but again, like I said earlier, the carnival, we learned the carnival is not really a carnival per se. Um, it's just on the front, but you know, had they probably known they were going to stay on for longer than four seasons, maybe they would have taken a little more time with it. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? But, um, I think if they knew that they were given more time, they probably would have done different, something different with the story. But that, again, I don't know if that's the case. That's just my mm-hmm. opinion. One last thing that I did want to talk about before we wrap up here today. Okay, final episode. Mm-hmm. Sabrina's doppelganger is being prepped to be to come on as the Queen of Hell. I have a much different opinion about this preparation process the second time around than I did the first time. First time I watched it, I thought it was the stupidest and most unnecessary thing to dress up Sabrina in this Elizabethan outfit paint her face white, put this giant fucking wig on her, and you know, just put just to kind of put her out there like that. I thought, I, I just thought it was them trying to be campy, trying to be clever and artsy with it, which I thought at the first time I watched it, I thought it was completely unnecessary. And I was not a fan of it. When I rewatched it, I rewatched it with my wife. My wife is a history buff. Like, anything you want to hear about, uh, uh, about world history, she can, she can spit off you. She, I, think, I think she missed her calling. But the part came up again, and she was watching it with me. And 
kind of back in that mode the first time around when I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, I was like, this seems so unnecessary for them to do for them to do that. And she pointed out something to me, and it made a lot of sense. So Queen Elizabeth the first was basically a very, for lack of better words, like ruthless leader. You know, she was noble. She was feared. You know, this is how this was her look. You know, and I guess for the most part, looked at Queen Elizabeth the first and saw this just like. I don't want to say tyrant. I don't know enough about history to say if she was a tyrant, but she was. She, had, from what I understand, she didn't put up with any shit. And th- and this outfit that Sabrina was wearing represented a lot of how Queen Elizabeth presented herself. And I think where the show was going with that is they wanted to kind of give off that same vibe for for Sabrina being the ruler. Of all. So I have a little more respect for how they how 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 for the. For the dress and the wig and the paint on the face and all that. I, I feel like it's a lot. It's saying something about how they're trying to portray her as a ruler. Mm-hmm. You uh, know, when I first watched this season and watched this scene where she's, you know, Lilith is prepping her, you know, Elizabethan style for her coronation. Yeah. My only thought was, why is this different than her first coronation? You know, I mean, even Lucifer's like, we're going to have a coronation again. And is it? And so I just kind of chalked it up as like, well, you know, it's hell and all its flashiness too. You can't can't wear the same same outfit twice, kind of a <laughs> kind of a mentality. But that sure. is a really good point. And I don't know shit about history, so I feel like that totally makes sense because in this season, Sabrina put in that work to become the ruthless leader of of hell, whereas before it was just thrusted upon her and she made a deal to try and save the ones that she cared about. Whereas she right. literally fought, she competed for this title and she still wanted it enough that she is willing to create a paradox. So in that sense that this kind of shows her ruthlessness and her drive and kind of compare it to right, Queen right. Elizabeth. I think I I like that. I like that. It makes a little more sense now to me. Now, I'm really hoping in season four, when we visit uh, Sabrina number two, she's not always dressed like that. <laughs> I just hope it's a one-off, one-time thing. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the final season. I'm really, really, really hoping it's not, though. I know Netflix is candid, but there's the rumor that HBO Max picked it up. I haven't seen anything official about that. Just a one. Either. You sent me the article? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the other day I checked to see if there was anything new that had been mentioned, but I didn't see it. It was still all speculation that that might happen. And that was, I think the most recent one was back in August that yeah. I saw. Maybe so. if it is, maybe Netflix will do maybe like a yearly special, you know, around Halloween or Christmas time, you know, just an hour, you know, an hour long special for Sabrina. I, I'm disappointed that, it's ending after four seasons because it is one of my favorite shows. Um, despite what I, uh, oh, hold on. Oh, my wife overheard me talk, overheard us talking. And she sent me a text message. She said that not just Elizabeth as a ruthless ruler, but also that she was a ruler that didn't need, that did not need a man to help her. Oh, interesting. Thanks, Anastasia. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Dean says no problem. <laughs> That's awesome. That is Surprise awesome. guest. Um. <laughs> <laughs> there, so there you go. That actually makes sense even yeah. more. 
I mean, she had guidance from Lilith. The only real help she got from any man in this entire time is when her father just kind of, like I would talked about before, kind of talked to her through there, you know, telepathically saying, you know, go to this volcano. Other than that, she did it all on her own. I take that back. No, she did not do it all on her own. She got Ambrose's help, but and she had Nicholas's help to fight off the uh, 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 whatever his name was. But in the end, she was the one who defeated him. And Anastasia just decided to tell us again that Elizabeth ruled on her own for 60 years. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. But again, I mean, ugh, I got so distracted by that. What was I talking <laughs> about? I'll just wrap up by saying that um, whenever season four drops, I'm going to be very uh, sad watching it, knowing it's going to be the last season. really hope at some point Netflix changes their mind and brings it back, but I doubt they will. So we just got to take it for what it is. And I really hope that they give us a good final story. Yep. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that this was the show that we picked. So, cause I finally got to sit down and watch it and realize how much I really, really like this show. I mean, for all its campiness and, and cheesiness and questions here and whatever, it's, it's a fun show. It's an interesting show. I like that. And it's like I said, it kind of this last season piqued my interest with uh, Wiccan and, and paganism. And I yeah. checked out a bunch of books on Wiccans and spell casting, candle burnings, crystals. And <laughs> I told my husband, I was like, we're going to be Wiccans. And he's like, I'm not wearing crystals. <laughs> that was his response. Oh, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. <laughs> This was a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to doing uh, season four. And, yeah, hopefully we'll see where that season takes us. If it'll end there or if we go beyond. So, But if, you, if everyone is still with us, at, at still listening at this time, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here virtually, Eric. We will continue our chat after the season four drops. Until then, everyone stay safe and keep streaming. Bye, everybody. Bye.